0: Hey guys, welcome to episode 20 of the BAC Hockey for Hope podcast. Really excited to bring you the next couple episodes. We'll, uh, we'll call this Goalie Week. Um, but we'll start off with uh, Dave Marcoux, owner of uh, Dave Marcoux School of Goaltending. Um, Dave, uh, local goalie guru here in Calgary. Um, spent a number of years as a NHL goalie coach. Started out in the Quebec Major Junior League, uh, working with Benoit Allaire, um, and before he ended up uh, in the NHL with the Calgary Flames. So, a lot of really good stories that uh, that Dave shares, uh, including a couple with his time working with uh, with Mika Kiprasov and the Flames, um, and with uh, Daryl Sutter while he was the coach GM of the Flames. Um, also, who he was hired and fired by, and kind of talks about those uh, interviews and meetings. Um, and then Dave went on to Carolina where he was a goalie coach there um, and then worked with a lot of really good people um, that make up the Carolina Hurricanes today. Uh, like Rod Brendamore, their D Corps, uh, just a number of good guys. And a couple of interesting things that uh, Dave notes on his experience in Carolina is just how important it was for the Hurricanes or it is for them to hire good people um, before they're bringing in hockey people. It's good people first. Um, so I think something that's kind of been reiterated the last couple of weeks um, through my, uh, my communication and online stuff, um, it's just something that you're seeing a lot more of now and, and you're hearing a lot more like during the NHL draft. Um, you heard probably more often than not, guys are talking about how great this player's character is, never how heavy a shot is or how smooth his hands are or whatever else it was. It was always good kid, good interview, good character. Um, so it sounds like that's uh, starting to become a trend uh, around the league, which is great to see. Uh, and a great, uh, great point for young kids um, coming through the game here. Um, also, beyond uh, his experience with uh, Calgary and Carolina, um, Dave also worked with the Hockey Canada goaltending program where he uh, had a chance to work with a lot of young um, goalies, up-and-coming goalies at Jordan Bennington. Um, that are in the NHL here now. So lots of really good insight. I always really enjoy my uh, conversations with Dave. Um, Very smart, intelligent man. Um, Not afraid to be creative and think outside the box. And in our brief time that we have worked together, I think I've learned quite a bit um, from him and and really have enjoyed working with him. Um, He's a guy that embraces adversity for his goaltenders and um, preaches that adversity is okay. yeah, so I, I hope you guys enjoy this episode. A lot of really good stories, a lot of really good insight, uh, and then just some fun questions uh, for Dave about the best goaltending performance he's seen and uh, some of the favorite cities that he's been to in his uh, NHL coaching experience. Um, and then as well, he just kind of tells us what it's like to be a, a NHL goalie coach. So enjoy this episode, and we have a few more to go here um, to wrap up the first season of... Uh, the BAC podcast um, next week or later this week um, I, we will post the other half of our goalie guru uh, it'll be Kevin Swanson of GDI um, I'll post his episode here for you guys uh, early next week thanks so let's start with uh, how you got into goalie specific coaching
1: well I, uh, I was doing my bachelor's degree in phys ed out of uh, Montreal, and um, I was just doing basically 13 different uh, hockey camps in 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 uh, Quebec throughout the summertime as a summer job, and uh, that was you know I had the passion for the uh, passion for the position and played up to junior at the time is probably the equivalent of junior A now, <clears throat> and uh, yeah, I just wanted to keep on going. And, uh, uh, from those 13 different cities, I would go to St. Jerome, north of Montreal. And, uh, that was, uh, an opportunity for me to get started in a, in a hockey, uh, academy also. So the oldest hockey academy in Quebec is in, uh, is in St. Jerome and, um, uh, just, just got started with with them. I built the program there with a, a, a buddy of mine, Gilles Trudeau. He played in uh, he played in Europe, and uh, you know from there you have all the the AA, uh, AA kids that are going to school there and all that. So it was uh, it was good times. I was actually uh, just picking up your a uh, oh, pretty cool. good uh, picture. We represented the Montreal Canadiens at the uh, Quebec Pee Wee tournament. Nice. And uh, this is Yan uh, Danny uh the goaltender that played a bit for Montreal and bounced yeah. around in the for quite a bit. But uh so this uh this group um you know that's kind of how it uh, how it started. And um uh, from there I was uh doing more hockey camps. Benoit of the New York Rangers had his goalie camps too and uh he uh I I did help him out and uh, after that we uh he, uh, he had heard that Claude Julien was looking for a, uh, a goalie coach with the Hull Olympics back in the day. So I started uh, started going there. Funny story, I was doing, uh, that was the team that was owned by Wayne Gretzky just the previous year. He had just sold it. But um, I was uh, with the Hull Olympics, going there three times a week. As a lot of young coaches would, would know, um, you know the budget for the goalie coach was six thousand dollars a year, and at the end of a year, my total expenses were eight thousand. So we were making minus two thousand dollars every <laughs> year to go coach three times a week. So I was probably doing too much to increase my uh, to increase my uh, my uh, my expenses. But uh, you know, with uh, with Claude Julien and and the success that we had there with you know going. A game seven against Luongo in Aka and in Bathurst. And, uh, you know, just those opportunities um, that kind of got me into, uh, you know, the, the higher level of, of coaching and uh, saw that I, I wanted to continue on.
0: That's awesome. Um, and then, so your first, uh, you started working, I think it was with the Hurricanes in 03. Um, or no, a flames my- first. The flames yep. first. Um, I guess just talk about how you got that position, um, and then just what that was like going from the Quebec League to working with NHL goals.
1: Well, we—I uh, was again. I, I spent four years with the Hall Olympics and uh, had the chance to work with Philip Um He—he uh, he was with the Colorado organization and. Uh, his dad played with Daryl Sutter back in the day with the Chicago Blackhawks. Bob Soe and uh, I, I was talking with Bob, and I said, "Listen, the draft is in Nashville this year. You're going to talk to everybody, all the GMs there on the weekend." And it was around this time of the year, and uh, I said, "Listen, here's my resume and." Uh, you know, if you if you hear of an opportunity, goalie coaches were just getting started, kind of the full time mm-hmm. thing. Francois Lair was was very big in Quebec and, and Benoit Lair, the brothers. But um, so he came back from Nashville and he says, "Well, there's there's two opportunities, two two spots that might be looking for a change, and the Philadelphia Flyers were one of them, and uh, the Calgary Flames." So I was like, "Okay, well." Uh, who's in? Who's in Calgary? Daryl of What's his number? I want to call him, and you know, and, and he says, "Wait, just wait it out here, and uh, let let things things happen a little bit." So, um, you know, funny, funny how you look back and you see the history of the revolving door in mm. the Flyers organization. And at the time, J. S. Guerra was drafted by uh, Hartford, but came to Calgary. They had him you know, in the organization up in, in the minors and they let him go. And after that, you know, he went on to, to win the, uh, you know, the the, the top goaltender and all that and uh, Stanley cup with Anaheim. So that was, uh, you know, when Daryl Sutter did finally call me up after, you know, a few weeks, he was probably expecting to talk to a French guy and, and, you know, <laughs> that had a hard time communicating you know, and all that. But, uh, You know, growing up in Sherbrooke, Sherbrooke is an English, pretty much an English-speaking town, and um, and I was born in Rochester, Minnesota, also. So, um, I he he basically flew me in eight and a half hours of flight that day for uh, a twenty-minute meeting, (laughs) and it's uh, it's funny because at the time this is two thousand three, and he was. On the phone with Gary Bettman and the 29 other GMs before my interview, so I had my, I had my suit on and my videos all ready and my all my documents and all that, <laughs> just waiting at where his secretary was, and uh, so he's his door o- finally opens up, and I don't know, he goes for a drink of water and and comes back and just have, have a seat, go right in there and just slams the slams the door. Uh, right right behind me I was like and his first comment was there's no effing way I said excuse me there's no effing way we're playing effing hockey because of the effing players that want too much money for next year there's gonna be a lockout And it's like oh really so I was expecting to you know to show what I could do as a goalie coach and explain all of that but he didn't want like he was it was all about the damn lockout and then so 20 minutes of the meeting was basically 12 or 15 minutes talking about the future lockout in 04 or 05 basically and uh after that is oh by the way roman turk and jamie mcclennan were the goalies there at the time and it says uh are you able to work with a 5.85 million dollar check goalie that can't stop a beach ball So, I started to laugh a little bit, but uh, you know, he just he needed to see what uh, you know, who I was and get to know me a little bit and it, the conversation basically went from the lockout to uh a Czech goalie that couldn't stop a beach ball. So, That's um it was uh yeah, that was kind of a funny situation. <laughs>
0: Um, I think your time there, you, uh, you worked with Kipper for, um, a, a number of years there, so really working with him and what made him such a special goaltender. And I guess with his career, he kind of came out of nowhere being with the Sharks and a ton of success then with the Flames.
1: Yeah, well, we always say that, like I knew the the name Kippersoff coming from Montreal because Marco Kippersoff his brother was... A call-up defenseman for the Montreal Canadiens, oh, okay. and I knew his brother was a was a goalie. But people just think he came out of nowhere, and the same thing with uh, you know Jordan Bennington last year. Yeah. Goalies don't just come out of nowhere, and the ups and downs of the minors. And Kipper was in Kentucky with uh, Vesa Toscala and. He, he bounced around there, tried to make it with San Jose. Nabokov and Toskala were ahead of him on the depth chart. So he was in Cleveland and, you know, just just doing quite well there. Yeah. Uh, you look at, you know, Jonathan Quick Jonathan Quick in L.A. I remember Denny Gauthier talking to me after he got traded from Calgary. He says, Dave, he says, we have a goalie here. He came from the East Coast. and He says, he's unbelievable. And his name is Quick. You know, and so so you have these goalies where you uh, we always think where well, where was he? But there's a yeah. lot of good goalies that are at the pro level and the minors that just don't really get an opportunity. And in yeah. Kippersoff back in the day, I remember in Daryl knew him from his San his years in San Jose. Like I say, I didn't know him from a hole in the wall because you know, if it was only about his his brother, the, the defenseman. But uh, when we traded for him, he came in, in the first week we had three games. We had Toronto, we had Chicago, and the Montreal Canadiens. He got a shutout, a one goal, and a one goal against to be the player of the week. The first time I had a goalie session with him, funny because coming from Quebec, the goalie gear um, is is really, you know, a, a goaltender's force or, you know, builds his confidence or whatever with the goalie gear. Kipper showed up with the San Jose Shark color Heaton pads, and the name on the pad was Nabokov. <laughs> and I said, did they make a mistake here? He says, no. He says, Navi wore those pads a little bit, and he didn't like them, so I tried them out, and I, I, I thought they were fine. So he was playing with 35 inch pads at the time where goalie gear goalies were allowed to go up to 38 or 39 inch. And so I took some videos of him in the first week and the five hole on that guy was huge. There was a big, big triangle between his between his knees. And so we just, you know, we ordered some different pads. And when he saw a picture from the, in net cam of Roberto Luongo closing up the five hole completely, just because of the pads, he scratched his head. He says, "Yeah." He says, "Maybe I can go a little <laughs> higher than 35." And, you know. So, so we had a very good relationship because I was a starting. You know, I was, that was my first year as a, a, a professional goalie coach, and Kipper was getting an opportunity, and he came. Don't forget, he came from a situation there was three goalies in San Jose where he was practicing hard every day and up in the stands or up in the press box during the games. And he comes here because of an injury, but he sees a three-headed monster also with Roman Turek and Jamie McLennan. So he clinged on to me, and uh, it, uh, it, uh, it turned out quite well in, uh, in his uh, situation. Uh, 2004, he started out player of the week and all that, and he was playing a lot. But in early December, he had uh, he had a knee injury, and that set us, set us back a little bit. Um, so his rehab, we figured out that if you're not going to uh, uh, be able to go down in the butterfly, he was not a great puck-handling goalie. So the only thing, he could start by going out on the ice a little bit and skating. So we handled the puck, we handled the puck, and he became very proficient at... Uh, at the uh, you know puck handling role also Um, so it was it was fun time we spent uh, you know uh, six years here uh, together and um, after that uh, Daryl was uh, sick and tired he said to me on the uh, exit interview he says we're sick and tired of losing in the first round of the playoffs so we're not rehiring Mike Keenan, and we're letting the staff go. Also, even though Kiprashov was the MVP of the team with with Jerome McGinley, so that was that was tough. It was tough for a coach that you you know you bring your family here, you don't know what the you know what the future holds, and uh, you're instantaneously, even though you had goaltending success, um, you're out and. Funny thing, it took them five years to not lose in the first round of the playoffs because they never, they never were back in the playoffs for five years after that. So (laughs) it's, uh, it's, it's funny how that goes.
0: Yeah. So what did you do from the, like in the five years in between with the Flames and when you went to Carolina?
1: I went to coach in the Western Hockey League as a consultant with the Moose Jaw Warriors. And Dave Hunchak was the head coach. And, um, you know, I needed to, I needed to stay busy. I needed something mm-hmm. to stay connected and stay relevant to, and to go back and, you know, to go back to my roots. I coached in the Quebec league for four years. So, um, you know, there was an opportunity, uh, Jeff Truitt and Dave Hunchak were the general manager and head coaches there. So, um, for two years, I did that trying to, uh, trying to get back and it's funny because the year that I got let go the draft was in Montreal like this year was supposed to be in Montreal and I interviewed three hours with Jacques Martin and uh, in Montreal at their uh, complex at their uh, their, uh, practice facility and things are going you know great for three hours we're talking about philosophies and the uh, you know the things that I had built for the goal the communication uh, with the Flames, with, uh, you know, and Warner, and Rigier, and those guys, Dion Finef was coming in. So he was very interested in that. And, uh, you know, ultimately, Jag decided to go in a different direction. But it was so close that even the TSN ticker <laughs> said that I was the next goalie coach for the Montreal Canadiens. <laughs> and I called Jacques Martin and I said, I don't know what's going on here. But uh, I just saw this on the TSN ticker, and uh, um, I said, could you give me a call, please? And finally, ultimately, in Montreal, you can never never really trust the media. And yeah. uh, so Moose Jaw Warriors was a good experience. Uh, two years there just as a, you know, flying in, fly out as a consultant.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And um, just kept on plugging away and, and persevering and sending resumes and getting, you know, getting... Uh, negative responses from GMs or coaches. But then ultimately with Carolina, Bill Peters being from Three Hills, um, probably saw what I had done with, uh, with Kipper. And uh, you know, I just had a, a, a good, many conversations on the phone. And then uh, I, I got the job in Carolina and spent uh, three years there.
0: So when you were with them, did you move down there? Like you're there full time?
1: Yeah, I was there full time traveling with the team. Um, you know, the first time around in Calgary when your kids are, you know, Adam is five years old and my daughter is three years old. Um, the move is easy, Yeah, you know, to come to Calgary. But to go to Carolina across the country and we adult, you know, the kids were all set here now. They were, I don't know, 17 and 17 and 15 years old that it's a different scenario so I moved there on my own and it's not an easy place to get to um you know <clears throat> in the middle of, of North Carolina so um yeah I spent there spent some time there it was uh, basically living in uh, the same apartment complex as uh, Steve Smith and uh you know he was a defenseman coach there and played with the Oilers and all that. So we had some great, great conversations around bottle of wine and and a lot of great stories about uh, the Euler era. But I learned a lot with Steve Smith and being with Rod Brindamore with the, uh, you know, he was with the forwards in the power play and then Bill Peters being the head coach. So we spent a lot of good time together and it was just a, a, an era, a time where the rebuild in Carolina uh, and the change of ownership, um, the money was tight and the players, uh, it, was, it was a very, very young team. And, you know, Jacob Slaven and Pesci and uh, Sebastian Ajo, those guys were just starting out. So yeah. uh, they're, they're a different team right now. So.
0: Yeah, no, they're I, they're, I think, one of the teams I, I enjoy watching the most, like just the way that their D-men play and how mobile their whole group is. It's a fun team to watch.
1: Yeah, you know, they, they were able to capitalize also on, you know, a Chicago Blackhawks team that was mm-hmm. stuck with the cap situation and to get uh, Tevo Teravine in into mm-hmm. that mix. Also, him and Sebastian Aho are just electric and okay. um, just a lot of great, great people there. Um, you can trust that the one thing in Carolina, they, they, they bring in good people before yes. bringing in good hockey players and you know Cam Ward was uh, you know always as always the the number one guy there and we had Anton Hudobin, Eddie Lack that came in also Um, but uh, very very good people and I can't say enough about the leadership qualities of starting from Rod Brindamore but also from Jacob Slavin a defenseman that people are, you know, only starting to get to know now, but, uh, such, such a great human being first and and, and this very skilled defenseman.
0: That's awesome to hear. Um, just kind of talk a little bit about like the specifics of being an NHL goalie coach. Is it more specific to working with the team or is that you're with a goalie kind of one-on-one isolated work most of the time doing video? Um, and then I guess how you work with the coaching staff um, and the team in terms of systems or preparation, or if you do it all.
1: Yeah, I mean every coach is a little bit different. Um, <clears throat> I know back in Hall, Claude Julian was, you know, driving the bus, and the role of the goalie coach was really to come in part time and and uh, work with the goalies and and do a lot of you know, video review from the games and all that. Um, Daryl Sutter was pretty much the same way also, but he would leave a lot of latitude to, um, you know, to the assistant coaches because he was the general manager also. So um, Jim Playfair was the defenseman coach. Rich Preston, Rico, was was in charge of the forwards. Um, So just to do a little bit more and more. Um, you just need to be careful of, you know, staying in your lane as a goalie coach. Your priority is, you know, is, is are the goaltenders and all the goalies of the organization also to be aware on Monday morning to make phone calls to the American Hockey League goalies and to, to see how the weekend went and all that. But um, under Bill Peters, I mean, Steve Smith, the amount of time that we did spend together, even though we were for three years, we were not a playoff contender. Mm-hmm. Um, we were number one in the NHL in, in shorthanded or in a uh, shorthanded situations. And uh, I learned so much in that environment and we were able to, uh, you know, do a lot of video review and, and just to have an open mind and it's like, Dave, Dave, what do you think Wardo wants in this situation here? Or, um, you know, what is, what is Justin Falk thinking? Um, you know, what do we want to have? And it's funny, back in Calgary, we had one meeting one morning. And we had the best goalie in the world at that time. And we were debating if we were going to front pucks and block shots on the power play or if we were going to box out. Mhm. And I I've asked absolutely every goalie, what do you prefer? 99. Point, yeah. Yeah, 99.9% of them say I just want to see the shot. Yeah. And Kipper was kind of a quiet guy, so he didn't say too much. We were always getting caught with with uh with screen screenshot goals. And Kipper being about 6 foot 1, 185 His size alone, if he could not see the puck, chances are the puck was, you know, a seeing eye shot was seeing the net more than his body. So um, Rhett Warner stood up in the room once we were getting into that debate in the video room. says, wait a minute here. We have the best frigging goalie in the the world right now. Maybe if we asked him, what does he prefer? And Kipper's in the back and everybody turns to Kipper and says, well, I'd, I'd prefer if you guys boxed out. Perfect, done deal. We're boxing out. That's that's who we are now, and yeah. that allowed us to go to the finals against Tampa Bay because they would front a lot of pucks, even in the Tampa Bay. With uh, torts. Tortorella would put as many yeah. uh, bodies in the lane, but uh, it was it was funny that the the confrontation between boxing out and fronting pucks in that in that uh, video room was quite interesting. So there's more and more collaboration. I think I think the successful teams have a goalie coach that is involved and is aware of uh, you know what the systems are. You need to know and mostly on the p on the PK. So on the penalty kill, you're you're always talking about your goaltender being the best penalty killer and you know uh and that was very, very helpful for for our our time in Carolina. At least uh, to be you know up there in the top five every year, and uh, our power play was just not <laughs> not where it needed to be to get into playoffs.
0: And then, so you travel with the team too, then on road trips?
1: Yep. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Every uh, every road trip, uh, being there full time, um, you know, th- different different times of the year. If we were in uh, Boston and uh, Ron Francis needed me to go scout a goalie from Dartmouth or from Yale, I remember Alex Lyon, he's a goalie that ultimately signed by, uh, signed with the uh, Flyers, oh, yeah. uh, but uh, we were playing in Boston and the team was going, I don't know, to St. Louis afterwards, so um, they wanted me to stay behind and to go scout the playoffs for, uh, for Yale. Um, or the other scenario was, you know, if they do have a a day off, the good thing about the situation in Carolina was that Charlotte is two hours away. So Mm -hmm. I would, you know, (laughs) it's funny because being alone in an apartment in Carolina, what do you do on a day off? Yes, you can go for bike rides and stuff. But ultimately I just decided to drive down to Charlotte and go for the, uh, you know, the game that night and the practice the next day. And I was back, uh, back with the, the, uh, the NHL team. So the, it's very practical to have your American Hockey League team so close Yeah, because our time in, in Calgary, I had to go to Lowell during the lockout quite a bit. And that's where I met up. That's where I basically connected with Cam Ward because Carolina and Calgary were together in that uh, dual affiliation. And uh, Brent Cron was there, but that was the year of the lockout. So Lombardi was there, Chuck Bogusu, Eric Stahl. That was just a tremendous uh, American Hockey League team. Yeah. Um, and I was going there also with, uh, you know, with the Calgary Flames, with their, with their minor league team. So.
0: Yeah, that's cool. Um, I know you work a little bit with Hockey Canada. Um, I guess just talk about that role a little bit and uh, how you support the Hockey Canada goaltending programs. progress.
1: Yeah, well, that was another thing during my, you know, my, my uh, time away from the NHL. Um, the Summer Goalie Development Camp, uh, they are actually holding it uh, still, but it will be all online conferences this year. Um, so I had a, that opportunity to, uh, you know, being being from Calgary now also, and to have the whole program come come to Calgary, um, it, was a, it was a great opportunity to get to get to know and work with the uh, the young, um, you know, Jordan Benningtons of the world and Matt Murray's of the world back, uh, you know, coming to that uh, coming to that camp. Um, I, so it was, you know some some short term uh, events like that for uh, for one week in the summertime, mm-hmm. um, just a great way to also to be connected and stay connected and, and to go to Toronto and to meet up with top goalie coaches from across Canada that are either in you know in the Western Hockey League and the OHL and the Q or other professional goalie coaches and and at one point there was. Uh, with with Corey McNabb, we um, you know the the debate was well. Listen, at one point when I started in the NHL, it was thirty percent of all the goalies. They were not only from Quebec, but they they were not only from Canada, but they were from Quebec. So there was something that we were building there in Quebec that was tremendous. And you look at look at it now: uh, Russian goalies, Swedes, Vince, mm-hmm. My area was all the Finn goalies that were were coming up after after uh, Kippersov, and, and so they were doing something special there on a country that's about this big. And across Canada, with the size of our country, we were kind of had we we had pockets of goalie development, but there was not a consistent uh, way of doing things. There was not an identity of the Canadian goalie. So that's we kind of worked on that. Uh, in, uh, in the days that I was, uh, I was doing those goalie camps here out of uh, Winsport.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. You've worked with a lot of obviously high level goalies, um, Kipper, Cam Ward, um, Hockey Canada guys, what do you think it is that separates those goalies at that level? Um, you know, from younger guys that are coming up or just what makes those guys so special and so good?
1: Well, definitely, they have a level of confidence coming from years of going through tough times and seeing that the sun comes up the next day. So every goalie and I, I often say this in in conferences and presentations or to all the goalies basically, is I judge a goalie not by how how he falters, by how he falls down but how he gets back up and it's a tough situation when you are a number one goalie you know that you're the guy and you know that you will have that opportunity to get back up and to play Uh, sometimes at fault you play too much but uh, as a guy that is you know gets one shot it's one opportunity it needs to be the perfect storm of Uh, great saves, uh, perfect timing, and, uh, you know, your team helping you out. And that's why it's so important for young goalies that are trying to make it to a different level to get – to be the hardest working guys. Mm -hmm. That is the one thing that goalies can control is to be the first guy out there and to work and to be the last guy out there. And you need to earn brownie points with your team and with the the team that you're going up to and you're just, you just hope and pray that the, the luck and the situation and you you look at the, the Jordan Jordan Bennington situation, they knew that they could trust him. Mm -hmm. And once he did get the net, well, he didn't let it go. And, and uh, his level of confidence in himself, just inspired the whole St. Louis team.
0: Yeah. When would, like, and I guess going back to your experience in the NHL and going back and forth, working with the AHL team, scouting um, the junior levels or college level, when do you think goalies are ready for pro hockey? Is it just they need time to develop or is it in the case like Bennington, they need that opportunity? Um, is it different per guy? I guess, how do you look at that?
1: Well, um, this is, I'm uh, just looking at this here, just give me a second. Uh, so Jordan Jordan Binnington, uh, just an opportunity, elite prospect, uh, under 20, Team Canada under 20, two games played, goals against 6.82, 8. 71 save percentage, two games. So you're thinking, okay, well, he's not the guy. Yeah. Chicago Wolves, East Coast, Kalamazoo Wings, 40 games played there. 235 goals against, 922 on a good team. Yeah. Chicago Wolves, American Hockey League. Oh, St. Louis Blues in 15-16. St. Louis Blues played one game. 4.69 goals against. 750. Oh, no, he's he's no good. He's I guess he's no good, but that was just mileage and experience. So you think he's not coming out of nowhere. He played Chicago Wolves, was successful with the Wolves and St. Louis uh, you know, he even went to Providence Bruins and the San Antonio Rampage. So you you look at a guy besides maybe Carey Price that you know was solid. And you could tell in, in, in tri cities, he was a, a good goalie, but he was able to win with the, ha- the Hamilton Bulldogs, uh, in the American hockey league. And then, you know, his, those, those scenarios are far, few and far between, because mm-hmm. a Carter Hart might be on that track, but for the most part, goalies are up and down and they get some opportunities and so Jordan Bennington is not a guy that just showed up out of nowhere He's yeah. a guy that you know give him credit because he's stuck with it he persevered you get called up and you get sent back down and you wonder why and and it, it's uh it's a tough tough situation so to me anybody that says that veteran goalie that is now getting 10 million dollars a year in the nhl well good for him because i know the past i know the history that he's probably gone through Mm -hmm. and the easy road to the nhl and the stanley cup is not the normal path for a you know for an nhl goalie for any goalie
0: yeah um, how would you say goaltending, has the position evolved or changed um, over the years um, and just in your experience and your career, um, I guess, where it is today from where it was maybe 10 years ago?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, 10 years ago, <clears throat> I, I'd have to say now, maybe 15 years ago, and it's very, very obvious by watching all the games on Sportsnet right now with no NHL Mm-hmm. you realize how bad the goaltending was and it was I didn't even talking with Kelly Rudy um, I had him in a in a presentation in our, our goalie camps at one point he showed up with his goalie masks that he had with no cage and the story that he had was like he was his co Al Arbor asked him Kelly, are you scared of that? Are you scared of the puck? Well, he showed him his mask. He says, yes, I am. I am scared of this puck. Like, you need to be fearless, but that's why they were all standing up and, and reading the height of the shot before choosing to go down or not. And so that obviously the butterfly style came in. You look at, uh, you know, Patrick Waugh invented the the butterfly stuff. Well, I saw some videos of of Patrick, and I was at the game when Marty McSurley had the big curve at the forum. I was at that game, and there was a lot of, you know, a fish in the bottom of a boat flopping around. There was a lot of flopping around even even back in in his era. And now the game is is so controlled. It's so systematic, and it's very – you know, there, there are no secrets because of the video. So anytime a goalie comes up with something, uh, you know, we're kind of playing cat and mouse between a shooter and uh, a goaltender. Um, now we're talk- talking about, you know, leaning into the post and going down. Well, that works if you're, you're Ben Bishop and you're six foot eight. Mm-hmm. Um, but when Johnny Goudreau comes in on the left wing and from almost from the goal line he knows where to go and hits the goalie right in the side of the head to score a goal up top well the video doesn 't lie and if a goalie coach does his job and shows these clips uh, to his goalie there should not be those types of back goals because the tendencies of player there 's a lot of there 's a lot of tendencies there 's a lot of information and and goalie coaches need to be able to be great teachers. Um, I was just on the NHL CA conference uh, when Rob Brindamore and, uh, you know, the coaches were talking about how long should a video session be and should it be more than 10 minutes? And everybody just agreed. No, you know, paralysis by analysis. Yeah. Kipper would always tell me, Dave, if I'm thinking out there, I'm too late. I can't be thinking. So you give him just the right amount of information. And sometimes it's giving him the right amount of information at the right time, the day before or the morning. But once he comes to the rink at five o'clock in the afternoon, there's no more information about the other team. It's just some keywords, important keywords and details that are. Relevant to him and to our team, and um, so yes, the game has changed, but goalies are definitely very, very cerebral, and it's important to know that how much is
0: too much information for them. Yeah, well that's that's good insight. Um, couple just some quick fun uh, questions here before I let you go. Um, best uh, NHL city that you've uh, traveled to with the team? Uh, there's
1: a lot of great ones, but... Uh, Winnipeg? <laughs> Winterpeg. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, so, so close to home, uh, Vancouver is just a phenomenal, yeah. phenomenal city. Um, you know, the California teams are always fun to, uh, you know, fun to get to. Um, it's it's weird because I had the privilege of working in the West for six years and in the Eastern conference for, for three years. And you spend, obviously you go there more often, you go to Philadelphia, Pittsburgh and those cities when you're in the East, a lot more with Carolina. So, um, I, you know, the, the Vegas experience, I I've never been part of, they yeah. came in the year after I was like going in, in care in Carolina, but, um, yeah, there's just every every city, and what I tried to do also is uh, Chicago is another unbelievable city, and the draft was held there not too long ago. So I brought um, my son Adam. We uh, we did that as a as a road trip, um, just a boys trip in the uh, in the summertime. We did the Minnesota draft. We did the uh, I think it was L.A. We did the Chicago draft. We're gonna do the Montreal one this year too, but uh, mm-hmm. just some some really cool cool cities.
0: Yeah, <clears throat> there's for sure. Um, what would you say is the best goaltending performance uh, that you've seen and a part of?
1: Uh, you have to go. You know, in in, in this in this era here, um, the great years of Carey Price where we were going into the Montreal at the, the bell center and he, he was in our heads. He was <laughs> definitely in our heads. Um, you build a scouting report, a pre-scout uh, that you, it's a video loop that runs in the dressing room in the morning. Uh, when, once you do know that, you know, which goalie is playing and you, sh- you show some goals and, but, even I remember Jerome McGinley talking to me about the new era of goalies. He says, Dave, he says, we can't even see the net anymore. He says, it's not even, not even fair, but the, you know, the guys are bigger. Yeah. The guys are, are stronger. And you know, they, they, they challenge. And he says, I used to be able to come on the wing and to see the net and see some holes. He says, right now, he says, I don't even see that anymore. And so they downsized the gear, but they cannot downsize a Craig, uh, a Ben Bishop who's six foot eight, um, and and so so Carey Price definitely a six foot three goalie was probably two ten, and you know just presents himself. His presence in net at the time was just so dominating that that combined with being in the Bell Center and having you know. 21,000 fans chanting his name. And mm-hmm. that was just like, okay, we're not winning this one
0: today. <laughs> Is that something like as a goalie coach? I imagine you're watching the other goalies in the NHL. Um, so when you guys are playing like Montreal, do you work or talk at all with players about kind of, I guess, pre scouting the other team's goalie?
1: Yeah, absolutely. That's a good question because, um, you know, a guy like Jeff Skinner in uh when we were together in in carolina um you know a great great goal scorer first of all he is always the guy that is there a half hour out there with me taking shots and warming the goalie up mm-hmm. and the goal the drills that we do we spent a lot of time together and we have a, an opportunity just to chat about the potential goalie that we're playing against that night and uh, uh I remember Chuck Kobus, who was the same way in uh, in, in in Calgary. Um, so to present, to coordinate things with the video coach and a goalie coach and the video coach, they work in pair also because while Chris Huffine or Rob Cookson, for example, in Calgary, back in the day together, he was working on the power place, uh, you know, on the penalty kill and all that. Um, Well, I was, I was looking at the player tendencies and, and uh, so you get that information out to the, to the coaching staff first and to the head coach. And obviously the head coach, he makes the final decision Mm -hmm. in terms of cutting down the clips. So you don't spend, you know, 10 or 12, 15 minutes in the video room, but, uh, individually you can definitely go to certain players and, uh, just remind them or show them different pictures. I was very big on that, just to print out an image of a goalie at the post. We talk about the that reverse VH now. Well, with the skates, the, the, the higher goalie skates, there's more of a gap between the post and the foot or the pad. And there's enough areas there. Um, the Pittsburgh Penguins, for example, they have a non-written rule. As soon as they come in on a rush and they put the puck on on net and the puck, the rebound goes below the goal line, that puck, they create chaos off of that puck. They don't reestablish the passing play. They fire the puck at the goalie's foot. Yeah. They fire the, the puck back at the crease because they know that the goalie will be sliding back to his post and there are a lot of bank shots from below the goal line. And if everybody is on board with that, pucks and bodies to the net create scoring chances and it just creates havoc. So they have a non written rule where they're sending any puck from below the goal line back to the goalie's feet. And you're taking advantage of a team that is caught out of position, back checking, coming back into their zone. So, you know. Those are, those are key details that a goalie coach can, can definitely help the team uh, to create more offense.
0: Mm-hmm. That's interesting. I think now that you say that, too, I think of I can just – I got a rush of images in my head of goals that the Penguins have scored like that, like Hornquist in the finals against Nashville there. The, I think it was, I don't know if it was the game winner or the second goal. was the same thing, like on the ball and just threw it back into Renee's feet. That's, yeah, yeah. that's an interesting point. Um, last question then, and I think, uh, something that I, I think when you probably see it quite a bit too, working with younger goalies and minor hockey teams, just any advice for coaches on how they can get the goalies more involved in practice. And I just kind of integrate them more into the practice.
1: Well, definitely to prepare a, a practice plan. And, you know, I remember coaching here in the city, um, you know, when my son was, was growing up, you know, Bantam, AAA, Bantam, AA in those years, um, to see a 50-minute practice at Optimist where the head coach is working on a one-on-one and there's 20 minutes of one-on-one in a 50-minute practice mm-hmm. where they go to completely down the ice one-on-one without a shot. And I asked the coach at the end of practice, I said, are you aware of how many shots you're goalie? got in your one-on-one drill for 20 minutes?" He says, not really. He says, I wanted to work on gap control. Well, I said, I think there's a way that we can work and make a good drill better and to make a good drill goalie friendly by blowing the whistle and have the forward go for a shot first, take his rebound if it's closed and then loop around and then go down the ice for your one-on-one. You accomplish the same thing, but to start with the whistle, and to incorporate and to involve your your uh, your goaltender on positioning for every whistle, he, at least he gets one shot, and maybe the one-on-one scenario where he gets a shot once in a while too. So, I mean, to plan and to have the goalies' um, development in the back of your mind. Also, you want to develop your all your group, you know. <laughs> and my my biggest thing also is. Because you're leaving, as a a coach, you're starting a drill on the whistle, Uh, let them finish. Rebound control is key. We talked about the Penguins, uh, firing pucks from below the goal line. If all you do is shoot the puck and hurry up to go behind a group to do the drill again, that is not realistic. To make it game realistic, you shoot the puck, maybe even a far pad, to always have a middle lane driver. So to shoot pucks to go to the net stop at the net and then loop to the ring out line and drive the next guy's rebound that creates good habits from a, uh, an offensive standpoint, scoring chances, but also creates good goalie habits by steering that puck away with your, uh, with your stick, not leaving juicy rebounds in practice. And, uh, you know, if there is a juicy rebound there, then to have a five-second rule where you finish and you play that rebound for a bit, two on the goalie.
0: Yeah. No, I think I think that's stuff that like, young coaches are probably focusing more on or should be just like, get those guys more involved. And there's no reason that you can't start drills with them, whether it's them handling the puck or initiating the breakout or whatever it is. I think just get those guys involved as much as you can all the time. So... That's good insight, and I appreciate you taking the time to sit down and chat here. There's a lot of good info there and some good stories. I think people will definitely enjoy. Have a great day. You too. See ya.